we can't be making fun of Jules poetry and then suddenly cut to Christopher Token and Terry Jones are dead. It's just kind of inappropriate. So let's say that tomorrow I keel over dead and you decide to do one last farewell podcast. Feel free to joke at my expense. (laughs) You have not just my blessing, but my encouragement to do that. Recorded in our Nerdhaven studios, this is Pop Medieval, your hosts, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McIntyre, discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Nina? What, Doc? So today we're going to be talking about something that's grim, and the last episode was about something a little grim. Yep. And so we're going to be doing it with a light tone, and the thing we're going to be talking about is the Black Plague. And Ooh, fun. Yes, it was. It seemed Heavy. to be fun for everyone. Oh yeah. We had discussed in the pre-show. We really should give a date. We're recording this on February fifteenth of twenty twenty, and the reason we should say this is uh, that right now the coronavirus is big in the news. Mm-hmm. Depending on whose numbers you trust, anywhere between thousands and tens of thousands of people have died from it. Now, by the time this is released. We could be living in a post-apocalyptic, disease-ridden wasteland where the living envy the dead. <laughs> if that's true, living, please enjoy today's podcast. Uh, but, or it could have burned out yes. and we could be all fine. Right. And but. We don't mean to be disrespectful uh, of the situation. And I should say personally, you know, I spent uh, two summers ago, I spent in China, though I was in Yunnan province. I have a lot of colleagues in China who, a lot of friends in China, especially some in Hubei province, uh, which is where Wuhan is, if people don't know mm-hmm. Chinese geography very well. Um, none of my, well, I shouldn't say this, people move around sometimes. As far as I can remember, none of my friends are currently living in Wuhan. Certainly none of them have said this. Uh, and so I have kind of a daily report back from what's going on in China for my friends there. As of this recording, all of my friends and their families are all healthy. Everyone appears to be safe. And so uh, we are sad for the people who are sick uh, and those who've died. Uh, and uh, no disrespect is meant, but I'm not going to let that stop me from having a good time while the world burns. <laughs> <laughs> good God. <laughs> this is the Nihilism Podcast. Nihilism. Pop Nihilism yes. with Nina McNamara and Dr. Richard Scott Noakes, yes, everyone. there we go. Anyway, so that's our disclaimer. Yes. But we're not talking about the coronavirus. We're talking about something else today. We are talking about the Black Plague, which is responsible for wiping out how much of Europe in uh, the 1300s, Doc? Well, let's begin with this. Okay. I want to talk about a work of literature that's based around the Black Death. Okay. And that work of literature is Boccaccio's Decameron. Uh, Cameron, And the Decameron is a super well-loved text by my students. I like to tell the story of I used to have a copy of the Decameron on the tank of my toilet when I was in grad school in the apartment. And we had to remove it because every time we had a guest who would come to our house and they go to the bathroom, they would be in there for like 45 minutes because they would just sit down and they'd be like, what's this? And then, you know. Yeah. An hour later, their spouse is pounding on the door saying, it's time to go home, honey. Uh, that's how you get hemorrhoids. That's how you get hemorrhoids. So the setting of the Decameron is around the Black Plague. Uh, in the middle of the 14th century, uh, there was 
a particularly bad plague, which is called the Black Plague, swept throughout Europe, had a high mortality rate, which we could talk about in, in a little bit. Well, about a third okay. of all Europe died, right? Although I'll come back to that statistic in a little bit. Okay. The, the low number is about a third. Uh, later, uh, more recent research has put it higher, uh, not quite 50%, I think, most of the time, but north of 40% of Europe died. I usually go with 30% as the more conservative number, also because I'm not really qualified to talk about the... My, my medical knowledge of the Middle Ages is much earlier, not around plagues, so... Right. Uh, We're not doctors. No, no. Boccaccio writes this story, that this series of stories in the Decameron, and the setting is he has these 10 young people seven young women and three young men and they all are at a church in Florence and they're all there for funerals and they kind of realize they don't have anyone to go home to like they're all there because the last of their family members have died one of them says well I have a summer home or country house why don't we go out to the country house and try to wait out the plague and we'll go out there for 10 days Uh, while they're out there they're trying to entertain themselves so they decide they'll have a, a little storytelling game where every day one of them will tell a story for 10 days, 10 stories for 10 days is 100 stories. 10 days, 10 stories, Decameron. That's right. The mm-hmm. Deca, right? The deck is 10. And so there's 100 short stories, and they're really good. This is why this is why it's a danger to put it on the toilet tank, because not <laughs> only is it, like, each story is, like, a 10-page story would be pretty long for the Decameron. Some are as short as maybe a page or two. Most are around, like, five, six pages long. And so... If you don't like the story you're reading, you can go on to the next story really quickly. Uh, It's really wonderful. But one of the things I try to get across to students is that the trauma of the plague was something that Boccaccio and his audience had personally lived through. They'd personally lived through it. And it's easy for us. So like right now, as I'm recording this, you know, it's easy for us to talk about not not as bad for sure, but an epidemic that's on the other side of the world. It's way easy for us to talk about an epidemic that happened more than half a millennium ago. And the literally millions and millions of people who died don't mean anything to us. Right. And to be clear, the Decameron is fun. There are some sad stories, but it's mostly fun. I think storytelling in this is a way of dealing with trauma. Um, He could have said it anyway. He could have had a hundred stories, however he wanted. He decides to put them in the plague. Before we started, I asked you to put together a list of 10 people, Uh, your 10 10 friends and family. If the listener would like to play along, I would encourage you to stop right now and just quickly write down a list of 10 friends and family members. Yes. You can pause this podcast here, too, if you'd like. So here's your pause point. All right. So we're back for those who've left and we're still here for those who stayed. You made a list before we started recording, though, for me, right? I did. Now, I wanted you to put a star by three of those names. By how many? Three. Three? Okay. Yeah. Um, and to do this, I actually, I didn't tell you this before the podcast, oh. but to make this fair, so you didn't think I was picking any favorites, I brought a 10-sided die. Oh, there we go. Yeah, okay. This so is this super is, nerdy. You guys, yes, the, no one on the podcast can see this, but this is in fact a 10-sided die. I'm looking so at I'm it right now. I'm going to roll this. Yes, this is this is the, the mm, you can't see it, but this is the purple, the famous purple one Ooh. from my purple set. So I'm going to roll this three times. Okay, let's see. All right. All right. First number is seven. Okay. All right. I'm going to put a star I feel like we have the lottery seven. going here. Okay, yeah. Second number is... 
10. Okay. It's zero, but that's, gotcha. that's a... And last number is nine. Okay, good. Seven, ten, and nine and ten. And if you're playing yep. along, please do the same thing. Okay. Okay, so what I like to tell my students after they've done this is to help personalize what the plague would have meant for Boccaccio's audience and to understand it better is to imagine, you know, the plague in the middle of the 14th century in a year and a half, a third of all Europe died. So imagine how your life would change if in the next year and a half, those three people died. So who are the three people on your list? If you can identify them sort of vaguely in a way that are. Oh man. Okay. So the first person, number seven was, my friend who is just specifically, she is a biologist and an ecologist who teaches at the same university that uh, you teach at. Okay. Okay. Uh, second friend is the um, mother of my nephew. Okay. Okay. And she's also, this is kind of a double whammy because she's also pregnant with my second nephew too. Ooh, so, so yeah, yeah, there we go. She's going to be very upset get, when she finds out that I killed her and her unborn child. We get a two for there. Yeah. And to make things extra sad is the third person who died is also my friend who, and I, I'll just name it, is her husband, my friend Eric, who is also the co-host of the Wine Dads podcast. Oh my gosh, you destroyed so the Wine Dads podcast. I, I did. I just destroyed an entire family, like wow. two parents. Yeah, there is a, a little boy who does not have his parents. <laughs> right. So yes. they're not going to be very happy when they hear this podcast no. episode. Well, they should be honored that the dice chose the die chose them. Yeah. Right. And so the, <laughs> the point I like to make of people is like when we have a tragedy, like it's super common for someone in a community to have a big tragedy, right? Where like there's a car yeah. accident with maybe a whole family in it or and and everybody dies and then the community comes around them and supports them but in this case everyone in the community is also experiencing this and in fact since you since the three people that you named mm -hmm. are not people who you either have to support financially or are your financial support you actually would be one of the people who would have one of the least amounts of impact on your life. And that would be pretty serious impact having those, uh, those three people die. In fact, as I recall you, as of this recording, you were hanging out with one of those folks. Well, actually to be perfectly honest with you, I was hanging out with both, both um, and Eric 10. and Emily last night. Yeah, yeah. Nine and 10. And uh, the, the woman, the, my, my friend, the biologist, she lives in my house. So, oh, it's, yes, that's right. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. Yeah, there yes, is, it would is be, some financial would, impact yes. to me. <laughs> it would be, it would be, it would be a big impact yeah. on you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm very close to, to right. uh, numbers nine and 10. Uh, absolutely. Yes. So, normally when I do this, the students are all very, I would say, most of the students after I do this are very kind of somber and they kind of get a little bit the trauma. There's always a handful there though, mm -hmm. who, you know, want to be the tough guy, you know, I don't care about the world. Uh, I listen to the nihilism podcast <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Uh, so yeah. 
what I always say then is, well, you have to remember that Boccaccio was from Florence and he mm -hmm. said it in Florence and our better estimates for the death rate of Florence, where he was from, was closer to 70%. Ooh. So what I say so, is look at the same list now and imagine yeah. that the three who you marked off are the three who live and the other oh. seven die. Oh, no. So who among <laughs> so oh, so let's go through the oh, list of God. the other seven who who your Flor <laughs> your Florentine plague has killed off. Oh, man. OK, so you're not going to like this. OK, so. Number one on this list was Engineer Mike. Oh, <laughs> well, for, well, apparently he has survived long enough to just do one last podcast, Engineer. <laughs> yes, he edited this podcast and got this one out. Um, number two is my brother. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, that would devastate me. That would me. be a hard one. Yeah, that would be hard. And uh, number three would be my brother's girlfriend, who mm -hmm. is also I'm very close to and who he is very close to. Uh, number four is you, Doc. <laughs> well, I went out doing, I went out doing what I loved, which is being covered in black tumors. That's <laughs> number five is your wife. Well, you know, really, would she want to live if I was out of her life? <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's very sweet that I, I made sure that you both died together. Yes, though. Thank you for I, that. I think she would like that. Yeah. Um, my number six was uh, my other friend who it happens to be a priest who is married to the biologist who also lives in my house. Mm -hmm. um, so you still have the number, house problem. I still you, have the house problem. You can't problem, get away so. with having that house fully occupied. I can't. So. Yeah, this is yeah, this is a problem. And then number eight would be my my boss. Is this so this is bad, right? This is bad. Yes, like I, seriously, I, I am not only am I, I financially ruined, but I am emotionally ruined. I have no friends, no family. My uh, life, my lifestyle is ruined. My hobbies are ruined. The, the I, I'm just I am alone in this world. Yes. So, but on the other hand, I just I would like to point out, thank you so much for assuming that I'm going to survive this plague. Because in both scenarios, I survived the Florentine plague as well as just the regular black plague. Well, but the truth is, if you're in Boccaccio's audience, you didn't die. Yeah. So, oh, okay. so I, that, that, I mean, that's why that's why you get to be the survivor. Always the list maker gets to be the survivor. I get it. OK, uh, because well, otherwise you can't be in the audience for the play, for the uh, for the Decameron. In real life, I would have just been wiped out. I would have been patient zero, probably. <laughs> I have right. I have no tolerance for any of this. Yeah, so I mean, when we are experiencing difficulty, like when you go to a, f a funeral, so much of what you do is you tell stories about the. Very uh, very often, the two main characters are the main character is the dead person, and the secondary character is the storyteller, and we kind of construct a sense of what their life was like. And in some ways, I think that a Cameron, all these different stories. Some of them are, are sad. Some of them are heavy. Some of them are love stories. There's all sorts of stories, but I think they get into both dealing with the idea of the plague and also how people kind of reconstructed their lives after the plague. So, and I was looking at the history of, or the, yeah, the origin of the Black Plague, mm -hmm. and it's kind of sketchy just where it began. It looks as though it started off in, well, unfortunately in china mm -hmm. but even that's questionable um yeah the truth is like we everything that you read online that's like very certain 
is almost always yeah. wrong. Uh, yeah. Because the truth is, we have a lot of knowledge about it, but nothing like the kind of knowledge we would have for something that happened 50 years ago. So you always have to keep in mind, everything is always provisional when we're talking about the plague. Exactly. We do know how it spread. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, that is from fleas. Yes. And that was fleas on vermin, uh, rats. Uh, I even read something about uh, like marmots or any, any type of small rodents Mm -hmm. with this type of fleas. And it was the parasites and the fleas on the rats. Uh, yeah. falsely attributed ra- to rats for a, quite a long time. It turned out to be, no, it was the fleas. Mm-hmm. Uh, fleas would bite human beings and leave ginormous black egg-shaped lesions or tumors called buboes mm-hmm. in the neck, in the armpits, in the groin. They would grow, they would crack open, and, you know, sorry, this is gross, but this is this is medical stuff. Mm-hmm. It, they would crack, crack open and ooze pus and blood. The... Victims would have flu-like symptoms, which, you know, everything is flu-like symptoms, mm-hmm. but they would get feverish. Uh, they would start uh, vomiting blood. Within two to seven days, they would be dead. Yeah. And so, and it was an airborne, it was almost an airborne type thing, except it was you know, spread by fleas, but it would happen so quickly. It would, and because Europe had major population centers, that's how quickly it spread because people yeah. were so closely confined together. Yeah, that's right. So sometimes it's called the bubonic plague, and that's because of these buboes. Yeah. And uh, Boccaccio says, he talks about it a little bit, and he talks about the symptoms, but he says, if you got those big tumors, that you were just definitely going to die. Like, that was it. Mm-hmm. There are a few stories, actually the very first story of the Decameron, uh, which is a kind of an amusing story. It's not super sad story. A guy knows he's going to die. Uh, because he's sick. It's not specifically said he has the plague, but he is sick. And people kind of understand, uh, understood in some cases, don't know you're definitely going to die from this. We also, by the way, do have stories about people who are able to be healed. And so it isn't clear how much of that was. Well, if you could be kept healthy enough, you could maybe your body could fight it off and survive. There's also some theory that there isn't one black plague, that there are a couple different diseases, which are all kind of lumped together mm-hmm. pardon the pun of lumped uh, but uh, uh and so this is another reason why it's kind of hard to kind of hard to know with any certainty uh about this history okay so then my last question before we get to recommendations so the poem the nursery rhyme ring around the rosy mm-hmm. Is this grounded in any bubonic plague history? Does this have anything to do with um, spreading ashes? Does it have anything to do with breathing in posy roses? What? Okay, so this is super common on the internet. And I will find other scholars posting this thing. And the mm-hmm. best you can say for it is it's baseless. And we have mm-hmm. no reason to believe that this is true. It's one of these kind it's of folk etymologies. Yeah, I think it's not just baseless. I think we have strong evidence that's not true. And the reason I would say this, there's a couple reasons. So the first reason is we don't even see it until the 19th century. So this is this is a 19th century poem. Is it possible that there were a lot of plague scholars about the 14th century plague in 19th century England? I suppose, but Mm -hmm. not likely and certainly not likely to be children who are like, let's make a nursery rhyme about this. Mm hmm. So that seems incredibly improbable. Well, someone might argue, well, no, it had been passed down for centuries. 
okay. This is definitely not Middle English. The language is definitely 19th century English uh, in this in the poem. And again, someone could say like, well, maybe. So as you can see, we're getting further. It's getting, we have to assume more and more to get this thing to work. Someone might then say, well, maybe it changed over time. Fine. But in the Middle Ages, it wouldn't be likely to call a posy a posy. The flower that's called a posy would be more commonly known as a nosegay. And so the rhyme, the very obvious rhyme doesn't work to begin with. So even if we change it, I suspect actually that there's another reference in it. And I honestly don't know what the reference would mean. But in the 19th century, the actual century that the poem comes from, there was something called a posy ring. Uh, And posy rings are... I mean, they, they still exist, but the term posy ring meant a ring, like a like a, a finger ring, ring you'd wear on your finger, that has an inscription on the inside. So many people, their wedding band will have an inscription on the inside. That would be, in the 19th century, they would call that a posy ring. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at this, the idea of, in the 19th century, around the time, this reference to rings and posies... Even then, posy usually didn't refer to the flower. It's It could mean the flower. Usually a posy meant a, a gathering of flowers, like a, a, a bouquet. They'd still more commonly say a nosegay uh, at that time. But I think it probably has something to do with more with the ring on a finger than anything to do with the plague. But even then, all that is just me speculating because we have no evidence to show we have actually more evidence to show that because at least it fits linguistically and historically. But I would never assert that with any kind of certainty. So it is at best unproven that this is connected and more likely it is just completely off by many centuries uh, that there's a connection between the nursery rhyme and the plague. So you're saying this poem is about herpes? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Like I actually have tried to have tried to rethink of the poem in terms of the idea of a wedding ring. Yeah. But I still end up with not knowing the ashes or they all fall down. Like, I don't know how that would work. So uh, and even then it would be speculative. It's still speculative etymology, which I don't have any evidence for it beyond that. It was a more common phrase in the 19th century than and certainly wouldn't have been a phrase in the in the Middle Ages. Okay. Certainly not in medieval England. So well, that solves that mystery, at least. All right, let's get into our recommendations then. And I do, I think, I think one day though, we do need to talk about the Decameron um, because it is an absolutely fascinating book and you're absolutely right. It was one of my favorite books to go through in your class and there was simply not enough time to go through every single story, but uh, it was, it was some of the most fun I've ever had. Well, it might be, I wouldn't want to do this for Movember because it would be too oh, broad, no. but there have been several several film versions of the Decameron, but they almost all focus on the same story and there's a hundred stories and they all focus on the same story. Uh, So maybe we can talk about that sometime. Um, Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So did you want to give your recommendations? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So the first recommendation I have is uh, about 10 years old, but it still holds. And this, this song still slaps. I'll tell you this. Um, (laughs) This is from the 
a YouTube channel called History Teacher, and it is about the Black Death and is to the tune of Hollaback Girl by Gwen Stefani. <laughs> and it is a little history lesson about the Black Death. As soon as we discussed doing an episode about uh, the Black Plague, I immediately started going, ooh, fleas on rats, fleas on rats. And I have not been able to get that out of my head since then but it's it's really good it's a his, entire history lesson in, to the tune of that song mm-hmm. and uh it's it's really good it's i just i love it so that's my first recommendation um and then my second recommendation is from the crash course youtube channel uh which is it takes things a little bit more seriously but uh, still fun nonetheless crash courses world history 203 which talks about disease and human history they do mention the bubonic plague but they also talk about the origin of disease and how it spreads and the reason why it spreads and uh, vis-a-vis war and uh, stagnant water and domesticated animals and the like it is absolutely fascinating but it's done in a way that is approachable and easy to understand so i am recommending that as well okay so i have two recommendations one's an anti-recommendation which is this there are many Ooh. fine translations of the Decameron, mm-hmm. but none of the three or ninety-nine cent ones you can free or ninety-nine cent ones you can get like on Amazon or Barnes and Noble are any good. I think uh, at least none I have seen. So my first recommendation is if you want to read the Decameron, don't read one of those. Just pay the two ninety-nine or whatever, or buy up, yeah. you know, and you should be able to find a good. I, I think even for even one of the two ninety-nine ones should be should be good. There are many of them that are like that. So that's my anti-recommendation. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't, read, don't read one of the cheap translations. Uh, the second one is actually a science fiction book from the 90s. It's by Connie Willis. It's called The Doomsday Book. And uh, it has time travel and uh, other things. It's part of a time travel series. But it, it's set in, well, what in the 90s was the future? I, I haven't looked at the year. It might be in the past for us now because uh, it's <laughs> oh, not God. the very distant future. And the Has idea, it been that long? Yes, the idea is that the uh, there is a plague in in Europe and uh, or sorry, there's a plague in the future, and there it somehow seems related to a medieval plague, and I'm not going to get into how that turns out to be, uh, but it is explained. Uh, I do like it because it's a really good representation of just kind of how it, what it would be like. the The book won uh, both Hugo and Nebula awards, so uh, oh, good. yeah, quite quite well-beloved book, and that's Connie Willis's The Doomsday Book. Wonderful. So, uh, anything else for the good of the cause? Oh, let's see. Stay indoors. Wash your hands. uh, Get vaccinated. Uh, (laughs) If I I may slip in one tiny, small political thing. I know we said we wouldn't do that, but... And, well, there's um, currently no, there's also currently no coronavirus vaccine, so not not yet. Yes. but if there is, get vaccinated and uh, don't lick any doorknobs. Gross, guys. Come on. Yeah, I think that is good advice, no matter what our podcast is. Yeah, or, exactly. No matter what the subject is. The yeah, the anti door lick, or I mean, maybe the pro doorknob licking podcast. You know, don't subscribe to that one. I think. I think we can all agree. I think that should be a netcast. I want the video of the people looking their jobs. <laughs> if you're into it, you have to be all the way into it. I Okay, well, I'm not going to subscribe to that one. But uh, <laughs> if you're into it, you know, God love you, I guess. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, West Hall, Nina. West Hall, Doc. 
Pop Medieval was recorded in our Nerd Given Studios. Your hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. Our music is courtesy of Dr. John Jenner. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash popmedieval. That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash popmedieval. Thank you for listening. The Academy laughed. They laughed when I said that I would have a podcast. Well, who's laughing now? Yes, that's right. <laughs> I will have my revenge someday. Mm-hmm.